So Eric Tanhag knows what he's doing after all, but are we at breaking point with VAR? It was a fascinating weekend of football across Europe and the Champions League is back this week. Isn't that nice? I'm Dan Burke. This is the One Football Podcast and I'm joined today by Alex Mutz. Hello. And Daniel Cadena-Jordan. Hey, everybody. Hello, hello. How are, we, how are we both doing? Very well, thank you, Dan. You've dragged me on my day off. I have. But Very good. You just, <laughs> you just love soccer, don't you, Alex? That's yeah, I do. I, just, yeah. I can't stop talking about Addicted it. Addicted so, to soccer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm being paid to be here, so it's all good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I do, I do want to uh, apologise to the listeners, actually, because we did have an unauthorised leave of absence on the podcast last week. It was, uh, it was unplanned, but it happened. But I suppose the important thing is we're here now. We've got loads of good stuff to talk about. We're going to start with our, our favourite games of the weekend uh, before we go anywhere. And Alex, I'll let you go first. What was your favourite game of the entire weekend? Well, I mean, I'm going to caveat this by saying it wasn't exactly my favourite game <laughs> of the weekend per se. But I did want to take uh, this part of the programme to talk about Paul Ince mm. and the job he's doing at Reading. Uh, he's been a bit derided, sometimes for good reason. <laughs> um, but yeah, he got the Reading job at the end of last season, kept them up pretty easily. And yeah, the start of the season, they've won five out of eight games. Um, they are third in the league. They're two points off the top. This weekend, they beat Stoke 2-1 on Sunday. Mm. Um, yeah, Tom Ince, his son, is playing really well. Yeah, they're, they're third, two points off the top in the championship. He's doing a very good job, I think. Uh yeah, he takes uh, takes a bit of a beating sometimes. But I think it's only fair to uh, to say when he's doing a good job. So yeah, they're they're playing really well. Playing nice. Really yeah, well. there was a, a famous uh, photo of was it when he was Blackburn manager when he uh, had uh, someone zoomed in yeah. on his notepad and he'd, he'd written <laughs> yeah. shoot on the notepad. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, I think he might have uh, improved slightly as a coach since then. Yeah, they got Tom Ince playing really well and Lucas Zhao is uh, their like star star striker. He's yeah. to it the weekend. So yeah, he's uh, he's definitely one to look out for. And Stoke have got a new manager, haven't they? Alex Neal's just took over there, left Sunday. To yes. to Stoke. Yeah. yeah, so he left Sunderland to go to Stoke, which some thought was maybe a slight sideward, sidewards move. But um, yeah, he's a good championship manager, so I wouldn't, wouldn't be too concerned about Stoke if, uh, if I was one of their fans, to be honest, yeah. this season. Yeah, nice. And they've got uh, Liam Delap alone from City as well, so quite interesting to see how he, he does. They yeah. have, yeah. Yeah, how about you, Danny? What was your favourite game of the weekend? Well, uh, the big Bundesliga nut that I am, I have to go with Bayer Leverkusen and Freiburg. Freiburg beat them 3-2 to two at uh, Bayer Arena, the Leverkusen game. Um, I don't know. I'm really, really into the Freiburg team uh, for the past years, you know, longest tenured mm. coach. Uh, all goals came from, from well, uh, new players, basically. Matthias Gintu re-signed with the club after being in Dortmund, Gladbach, everywhere else. Gregorich and Doan as well scored. Only six shots, four on target. Managed to basically masterclass Leverkusen at home. We'll also have like a really sloppy, sloppy start. But uh, I don't know. I think this is one of those clubs that represents everything that is nice and pure about football sale in the 21st century, which is, as we'll find out later in the show, not that many things. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I just had a, I'm just having a really good time seeing such a, a decent team, you know, leading the, the Bundesliga table for now. Mm. You know, it's a very, very big caveat as well. Yeah, we'll hold that thought because we are going to come back to, to Freiburg briefly in a little bit as well. Uh, my favourite game of the weekend was the Milan derby. Fantastic game of football on Saturday evening, uh, which users in the UK and Ireland could have watched uh, on what Oh, no, they couldn't have watched it on one football, could they? We had a different game on, but we did have the highlights yeah, of the yeah, game anyway. So, Napoli yeah. Lazio. That's yeah, right, yeah, yeah, which was also a pretty good yeah, game yeah. as well. But uh, mm. yeah, I, it was it was a great game. Rafael Liao, he's a fantastic player. Really surprised that no one went in for him over the summer, actually. I thought he was he was destined for a big move to one of the uh, sort of big Spanish giants or something like that. Maybe that will be mm. uh, coming soon for him. And uh, yeah, just a, 
an amazing atmosphere. Not that I was at San Siro, but I guess that's when you can tell it's a good atmosphere and you can tell on TV that it sounds incredible. So mm. I think it's just great to have Milan and Inter playing such good football again, both back in the Champions League, both at the top of the Italian game, although it is actually Napoli who are top of uh, top of Serie A at the moment. But yeah, really enjoyed that game very much, more than uh, anything that I saw in the Premier League this weekend, that's for sure. <laughs> we're going to move on to the Premier League in a moment but before we do just a reminder that if you want to get in touch with the show the best way to do so is by emailing us on podcast at onefootball.com uh, we'd love to field your questions and we have got a couple of good ones coming up later in the show from uh, a couple of listeners uh, we're going to start with uh, with the, the big game uh, of the weekend from the Premier League which was Manchester United's 3-1 victory over Arsenal at Old Trafford on Sunday Um I kind of had a feeling that the game might pan out like this. United have been improving in, in recent weeks. You know, we've got to give them credit where it's due, I think, Alex. We, we slagged them off and, and slagged Ten Hag off when they were getting beat a few weeks ago, but he's really turned things around. What do you think have been the, the keys to their turnaround? Um, well, firstly, I thought it was a really good game. Mm. I thought it was a brilliant game, actually. Both teams, um, it just, you know, a bit like you just said there with the Land Derby. This seemed like a bit of an occasion again, which was yeah. before, you know, it was a sort of two fallen or giants that had fallen on hard times, whereas this seemed like two teams on the up playing really good football. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the big money spent on Casimir and, and Anthony is has taken the headlines, but I do think come the end of the season, how key are Christian Eriksen and Terrell Malachi are going to be to, to them? Mm. Obviously, we know about Eriksen's qualities. I don't know, he just sort of adds, they were saying it on the Sky Sports um, coverage yesterday afterwards, Roy Keane and Paul Merson and Gary Neville, just saying that he brings like a huge assuredness to their midfield. You know, he's, he's always calm on the ball. He's always finding sp- pockets of space. And I mean, you could definitely see that yesterday. He's also freeing up a lot of sort of responsibility from Bruno Fernandes I think mm. which helps him a lot he's not Bruno Fernandes isn't now the only one trying to create things in the middle of the park whereas certainly at the end of last season he was definitely the only one doing that um, and then the fullbacks as well Malachi and, and Dalla Dalla actually I think he's been really impressive They're, those two are such an upgrade on Wan Bissaka and Luke Shaw certainly they have at the start, they have been at the start of this season um, I don't know they just give them a lot of width going forward they're both defensively very solid I really like Malachi Malakia Malachi I'm not sure how to pronounce it but yeah I, really, <laughs> I, thought, I, really... I thought it was Malassia <laughs> Malassia okay there we go <laughs> yeah I, I don't know I just think he's he looks quality he looks you know very sort of rugged in his defensive yeah. abilities but yeah I know he looks like a really good player so yeah they just I don't know they've just improved all over the pitch really in sort of small ways but that's added up to this sort of like big hole and obviously the manager is the way that he's turned things around after Brentford has been really really impressive so yeah um, yeah kudos to Ten Hag really he's, he's done a good job in the, the whatever it is three weeks <laughs> yeah. since it was all, all doom and gloom since Brentford I mean that's it we all said that it was going to take a bit of time for his his footballing philosophy to take hold and and I think it is still going to take some time I don't think it's there yet but to get them back on side mentally after those first couple of games is really impressive isn't it and you know you yeah. think that Scott McTominay I thought he was really good in this game against Arsenal They've still got yep. Casemiro to come into the team, like properly. <laughs> yeah. You know, he's not even properly. He's not started a game yet, has he? So, like, it's looking looking really good for them. You know, the defense seems to have settled. You know, Varane and Martinez seems like a a good partnership. David de Gea is making great saves again. You're seeing Bruno Fernandez um, s- sliding slide through passes through <laughs> for goals. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's a different team. You know, Sancho's looking really good as well, isn't it? He? He's not, he's another one who's. Um, scored against Leicester in, in midweek and is, is looking a lot a lot better this season now and and yeah they've got this new boy Anthony who they've spent an awful lot of money on I must admit I didn't see a great deal of him at Ajax what I did see what I was impressed by 
are you familiar with him at all, Danny? Do you, are you expecting a big impact from him? Well, I think it's that sort of signing you expect from uh, a club like Ajax. You know, like they do splash out a bit of money on a really promising Latin American talent. This kid's Brazilian. Spent something around thirty million north about uh, for him when he joined Ajax. Now mm. joining the Premier League is sort of like, I mean, setting aside the fact that they are, you know, milking every single cent out of Manchester United on this transfer <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad signing or an overrated signing. Still, what 22, 23, relatively young. Uh, he's slick. He kind of reminds me a little bit of sort of like the Luis Diaz kind of signing Liverpool did not so long ago. The sense that it's, you know, a really, the sort of player you wouldn't be 100% sure they would physically have the impact you would expect them to have in the Premier League. Um, you know, but they're just so quick and so slippery and they would just get around so easily around the team. And, uh, you know, I just think it's... Uh, Someone else is going to add a bit of depth to a team that is very desperate uh, when it comes to, you know, adding names to a pile of things. Now, knowing that, you know, Ronaldo's not going to be a player that's going to be routinely there. They're going to have to be rotating up front quite a little bit more than they would have anticipated had Anthony not come in. Um, but I do think he has a little place on this team. And the fact that he had a great start is always going to put, you know, the fans on the side. There's no pressure right off the bat as there was with other players joining the club where, you know, maybe if he had a bad first game, you know, the audience would be thinking a bit differently about him. Maybe, you know, 90 million does sound like a bit too much. Here it kind of feels a bit more justified in that case. So I don't know. He seems like one of those interesting players to keep an eye out uh, when it comes to what he can do after a successful debut with a club. Now that things seem to be kicking into gear, that Tin Hag has also managed to, well, bring back sort of like meritocracy to the team, which I think is also like a big factor here. Mm. You know, Maguire being benched, Ronaldo being benched, told to, you know, basically adapt or die. Uh, and uh, I don't know. I think it's uh, it, it's really interesting to see that's Anthony, Sancho, uh, Rashford, even that are you know taking the lead in the attack of this team now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. They've they've gone from this club that would go for the big Hollywood name signings that would sell shirts to players who are going to fit a bit more into the system, and you know, like Malassia, like you said, Lisandro, uh, Anthony. All right, you might say Casemiro still falls into that old category, but I think uh, you know, I think he's going to be a really good signing for United. Uh, you look at the way they're playing at the moment. Anthony scored a lovely goal on his debut. He's pulling off some nice tricks and flicks. We're not having him kissing his badge on his debut, though, are we? That's, <laughs> that's right, way too soon. Uh, yeah, it's like saying you, soon. saying you love someone on the first date, isn't it? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I have done, and it didn't go well. So, <laughs> twenty younger, younger yeah. romances out there. <laughs> And uh, Marcus Rashford, uh, a couple of goals for him in this game. You know, he's playing down the middle as the number nine at the moment, Alex. Uh, did you expect a, a bit of a renaissance from him? Has, has this surprised you a bit? It has surprised me, actually. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, Ten Hag said after the game yesterday that Rashford came up, came up to him when he was appointed and just said, I want to play centre-forward. The, the manager was sort of willing to give him that chance. And yeah, he's... And he's sort of reaping those rewards already. I think he looks so much better playing as a central striker and a striker that plays in a team that, I mean, we saw the two goals yesterday. They were, you know, counter-attacking goals. One, he's a player that wants to run into space and that was available to him yesterday after Arsenal sort of collapsed in the second half. But yeah, it's the first, I this is off the top of my head, but I read yesterday it's the first time since October 2020 he's been involved in more than one one goal in a game. Wow. So yeah, it's been, a, it's been a long time coming for him, obviously just in time for the World Cup, which is great. But you can just sort of tell how a little bit of coaching and a bit of confidence goes a long way with Marcus Rashford. Mm. You know, like earlier in the summer, I remember there were those rumours about Paris Saint-Germain maybe bidding for him. And it sort of said a lot about where he was at Man United that I think 
a lot of people were saying maybe it's best for the club and for him if he just leaves and tries yeah. something a bit different. Um, and obviously that's that didn't happen. And yeah, you can yeah, you can see what's been happening over the last few games. That goal against Liverpool, and now these two goals now. So yeah, I I I, I, mean, I know that we've got a question later on about what players are in having make or break seasons. And when I when I first read that question, the player that I thought of was Rashford. I thought if he if he doesn't adapt to Ten Hag, then it could be a bit of a worry for him, but yeah, he's gone from strength to yeah, strength to strength, and yeah, like I said, just in time for the World Cup, which yeah. is um, which is great. Yeah, taking his goals very well as well. That first one yesterday yeah. was great, yeah, and yeah, yeah. Uh, and and he assisted the first goal, of course. The second one was a mm. bit of a tapping, but the goal against Liverpool he scored the other week was really well taken as well. You know, it's not easy to be sort of put through on goal and to and to beat the goalkeeper in those situations, no, no. but he's he's doing it with uh, with a plum, you might say, yeah. and uh, it's making life very difficult for all the. Cristiano Ronaldo, isn't it, Danny? And he, he can't. I mean, he's, he's coming off the bench here. Maybe, maybe that's actually a good, you know, um, role for him to have at this stage in his career to be a bit of an impact sub. I don't think it's one that he'll be too happy with. And who knows? Maybe he will force his way into into the team eventually. But like you say, w- w- with the the lack of merit, the, the meritocracy that uh, that that Hag has brought in, and he's, he's not sort of enthralled to these big names anymore. Maguire's the other big one who United are looking a lot better since he's dropped out of the team. Yeah, do you see Ronaldo getting back into the team anytime soon? I think him being subbed in was sort of like an olive branch to say, like, look, I mean, you are who you are. You are still arguably one of the most successful players alive. Um, one of the most talented back in, you know, yonder. But you're still, you know, you still have things to offer to the team. You just have to understand that it's a very different team and a very different operation, the one that you're in now. I think that is the main thing. And Ronaldo, I mean, he doesn't really have an option, does he? Like... No one took him this summer. And that mm-hmm. is something I don't think any one of us would have predicted uh, in June. You know, we would have thought, okay, this guy's just going to go play wherever, even sporting, you know, sporting in Portugal, whatever it is, he's <laughs> going to be there. But here we are. He's, you know, eating a lot of bench, a lot of bench time. Uh, and I don't know. I think he does add that sort of, like you say, like he could really be like a really interesting sort of like, you know, player to bring in if you need to up the tempo if things don't aren't going that well uh obviously he's going to be the sort of player that you can rely on to put on a good performance the fact that he is also sort of like a moment of reckoning of his own where he did realize oh shit yeah like i'm too expensive for what i'm able to offer now uh in the eyes of other clubs and maybe my agent doesn't have the best strategy for me anymore uh kind of i don't know it, it's an interesting season for him for sure because he's never been in the situation he's been shining you know like, like the last time he was a sub like frequently and not even then was in his first tenure at, Man- at Manchester United. So mm-hmm. it's been way beyond a decade after since he started doing that. But, you know, uh, he was, his attitude, I think, was the big issue. And now that Ten Hag has basically proved him wrong time and time again, and the market has proved him wrong and everything, I don't know. I think he does, he might have a place in the team, albeit one very, very different to what he would obviously wish. Yeah, yeah I, I, I wonder if once he's sort of got, gotten over the fact that he's not going to start every game, Maybe having him there, having a serial winner like him, is actually a good thing for this sort of young mm. attacking mm. squad. I don't know. I, it, that obviously all depends on how Ronaldo reacts to it all. But I think it it could be a positive for them. It could could be. But yeah, it's a big, well, big if, I think. The thing is, there's only one way he can react now, isn't it? He either resigns like Aston Serapis contract yeah. to leave which he's not going to do <laughs> yeah. or he stays and fights for his yeah. place and you know he wouldn't have yeah, got yeah. to where he is and won the things he's done if he didn't have that kind of attitude so he's going to he's going to stay and run everyone yeah. you know all the yeah. way really and, and try and get back into the team and that's got to be a good thing for United and it does feel yeah. after all the chaos of the last couple of weeks when we were saying oh what's going on it's a mess you know the Glazers and all this 
obviously yeah. that stuff is still there, but everything on the pitch seems to just be falling into place for them now. And it's really interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, as for Arsenal, I mean, everything has been falling into place for them this season. I thought they, they played pretty well in this game for, you know, the first 60 minutes at least. Uh, I thought they were a bit unlucky to, to fall behind and controlled the tempo of the game quite well, looked quite assured, but then they did kind of fall apart, didn't they, Alex? Is that going to be a bit of a, a worry for them that they, there still is a bit of weakness there? Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I thought they, I thought they were excellent yesterday. Certainly for the first sixty-five minutes, once Saka, once that equaliser went in, I thought they actually looked like the team that was most likely to win the game from there. But um, I mean, it's it's been said elsewhere, but the triple substitution that Arteta made on was it seventy minutes um, just completely killed them. Mm. He took Zinchenko off. Um, I can't remember the top of my head who else he took off, but brought Emil Smith Rowe on, brought Eddie Nketiah on, and it just totally imbalanced them. And it was a bit of a strange sort of you know gung ho move to make with twenty minutes to go, and when you've got yeah, when you you know you, there was still plenty of time to play. Yeah, it was a very strange one for me. I think. Yeah, that, I mean, it's but that has really been the only like black mark on them this season. I I wouldn't worry too much if I was an Arsenal fan. They're obviously top of the table, so <laughs> there's not too much to to worry about. But yeah, as long as they can keep their main players fit, um, Odegaard, Zinchenko. I thought Gabriel Jesus, uh, despite not getting a goal yesterday, was just sort of excellent everywhere, all over the pitch. Mm. Um, so yeah, nothing. It sort of says how far Arsenal come. I have come, I guess, that Arsenal fans are thinking what could have been when before they were probably happy to just go to Man United and, you know, maybe yeah. just play out the defeat and then move on to the next game. Whereas, yeah, now that's not the case. So, yeah, they were they were good yesterday. I wouldn't, wouldn't be worrying too much about yeah. them. Yeah, it's funny you say that about Jesus because I thought he was good too, but it reminded me a lot of the, the Man City version of Jesus where he, he, yeah. would, he would work, yeah, work really right. hard, but nothing was really coming off for him and, and I guess the next step in his evolution you'd like to see him score a goal in a game like that really but yeah. it's it's difficult to be too critical of him because he has started well and they have started well I think it's about how they react to this now isn't it that's going to be the true test yeah. of Arsenal yeah. anyone can go to Old Trafford you know and lose even even United's really poor periods but it's how you bounce back from this now and, uh, yeah. and that'll be interesting to see um you know, we talk about United and them, they seem to have getting everything right. What, what do you think is a sort of realistic target for them this season now? Because it was avoiding relegation two weeks ago. <laughs> and now it seems like, I, I mean, I don't see them being a title threat this year, really. But you don't, you never know, really. You never know. I, th- I think you have to say top four, don't you? I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Liverpool don't look that impressive at the moment. It's just backing it up, isn't it? Mm. You know, it, like we said after that Liverpool win a few weeks ago, any team can win a one-off game. Um, it's how you back that up. And those sort of boring wins that United have had over the past few weeks have actually probably been more impressive than these Arsenal wins and the Liverpool win because, you know, they they went to Southampton and sort of didn't really do anything and but managed to come away with a 1-0 win, which they wouldn't have done in the past. Yeah, it's just backing these results up now, which, yeah, four wins on the balance, you can't. Can't argue with that, really. So, yeah, I'm I'm backing them for top four. I, I think mm. I like Ten Hag. He's no nonsense. I think he says all the right things. He's sort of won that sort of phony war with Ronaldo. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's got away with dropping Maguire. Um, yeah, I, I like them for top four. Yeah. Arsenal and United both top four this season, would you say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. That, But that's, mm. yeah, it's going to be interesting, isn't it? Um, yeah. If uh, Liverpool need to... Obviously, buck their ideas up a little bit. Obviously, Tottenham are in there as well. Brighton, you never know. <laughs> um, yeah. So, you know, so yeah, no, it's going to be fascinating. Obviously, I think I think we all think City are going to walk the league, but the rest of it is uh, is all very interesting. 
Indeed. I don't think City are going to walk the league, but that's just the natural <laughs> pessimist in me coming to the floor yeah. as usual. <laughs> Staying with the Premier League now, and it was, uh, it was a very eventful weekend in terms of VAR, <laughs> to put it mildly. I mean, I think... Uh, I think a lot of podcasts and a lot of TV stations, a lot of newspaper columns are going to be devoted to these these decisions this weekend. The one at Goodison Park, the one at Stamford Bridge, the one at St. James's Park. There might have been more that you know didn't really make the cut here, but I guess, I guess we all kind of know what people are going to say. Do you think there was any part of you that agreed with the decisions that were reached in those games, Danny or Alex, either of you? Go on, well, Danny, you go first. Okay, thank you for that, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of get why... I understand the premise behind what what argue what they were arguing to make the decision they made, but it does put into perspective how screwed up and how effed up it feels the whole VAR thing. Like every single place, and it's not only like a premier thing. Like you see it in Germany, you see it in Europe, you see it in Latin American leagues, you see it all over the world. That VAR is sort of like a constant issue for everyone in the football world, players, fans, clubs, even and even the authorities because they have to deal with the fallout, don't they? Mm-hmm. So. That it's the issue. Like it's the sort of thing that you have to get right, yes or yes. You can't like half-ass it or like you know expect people to live with the margin of error that is ironically really tiny, but also huge because that's <laughs> the thing. Like it boils down to like you know tenths of an inch, but it has the impact of a lifetime. Basically, it's like these are games that are being won and lost, goals are not not being allowed, celebrations that are being canceled, and you know players just looking dumbfound after the, the call has been made and, and the screen has been checked. But uh, I mean. It's kind of hard to take it on the chin every single time, isn't it? Like there, there has to be something you know fundamentally changed in the way VAR is interpreted within football. Because I mean, tennis yeah. got it right, baseball has it right, uh, hockey has it right, American football has it right. Uh, it, it can't be that it's football is so complicated of a sport that VAR is not an option. It, of course, it can be, but if you have a shit implementation, of course, it's going to suck. It's like everything in life. I'm right. Yeah, I'd be reticent, reticent to compare it to other sports. I think that that there's sort of no winners when you do that. But mm. I think what I would say is we were sort of, when it was introduced, whenever it was introduced three years ago, we were sort of sold it on the idea that it was going to stop refereeing controversies and it was going to be perfect <laughs> and it was going to make everything perfect yeah, about sure. Premier League refereeing. That just obviously hasn't been the case. Yeah. And I think... I mean, without going all, we just want our country back. But I think that we have sort of lost something. There's, there's far too much of that going on. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I think we have sort of lost something with the introduction of that. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't totally against it when it was introduced three years ago. But I just, I think the, the tiny uptick in correct calls just isn't worth the downsides that there inevitably are i just i just don't think there was that much wrong with refereeing before and now because our perception has changed that there is a machine or the people looking in stockpile looking at these decisions it has to be 100 percent correct a whole perception of what is like what is a correct call has just sort of gone out the window like the um we mentioned the one at Everton earlier, Dan, in yeah. your question, the sort of Cody offside. I, I'm aware that that is by the letter of the law correct, <laughs> but surely the idea is offside is the attacker gains an advantage by scoring the goal. Cody wasn't at an advantage there. His shoulder was just a millimetre offside. If he was mm. a millimetre backwards, he would have still, he would have been technically onside and still scored. I think that's why it sort of, rankled so much with me especially when I was watching that game on Saturday um and I know you can't like his his celebrations afterwards were great he's a 
you know, as a scouser, he would have scored the winner in a derby. That would that's amazing. <laughs> and it's hard to sort of take that emotion out of it. But yeah, yeah I just I don't know. I I don't want to be a luddite, and I I want it to work. But it's at the moment certainly the way it's been implemented in the Premier League, it just isn't working. And, yeah. and I think the sort of sheer amount of bad calls this weekend is obviously is strange, and it's sort of the chances of that happening again are very small, but. Yeah, I just it sort of put it into a bit more focus, hasn't it? Just how strange some of these calls have been. I mean, so it, far this yeah, but then if you pair it back and say, okay, well, we're not expecting a hundred percent accuracy. We're not expecting it to be no controversy, but it is just a tool that is going to be used for referees to arrive at a decision. Whether you agree with that decision is kind of a matter of opinion. Yeah. Like, for example, the one at West Ham, the Chelsea West Ham game. I thought there was a pretty good argument for that being a foul. Personally, I think I know people went insane about it. You know, David Moyes was remonstrate with the yeah. ref on the pitch and Declan Rice has tweeted about it I looked at it and thought yeah that's probably a foul uh, but, but maybe think, that's just my opinion and you know yeah but I think if you're yeah, but if you're sort of taking however many minutes to look at that yeah. call again and then the more you look at it the more you realise that that isn't a foul I think that's the idea isn't it you know yeah. in, in real time if you're a referee you could see how maybe that was given um but to sort of stop it, and like the one at Brighton, that offside, it took them, I read yesterday, four minutes and 40 seconds to come to a decision on a sort of, you know, few millimetre offside call. That's just sort of too long. That <laughs> yeah. is too long. So yeah. I, I honestly don't know what the answer is. And I do, in some respects, feel sorry for the people that are having to make these decisions, but something needs to be done because it is it's every weekend isn't it I'm sick to death of hearing people say it's not yeah. VAR it's the people using it what does that <laughs> yeah. even mean like yeah obviously yeah, yeah, obviously yeah. it fucking is like such as like Guns stupid platitude yeah exactly it's the same thing in it yeah <laughs> I, like yeah and, and you can look at these incidents on a granular level and, and you know I've talked in the past on this podcast about like maybe they shouldn't have VAR for offside and maybe that should be down to the uh, referee's assistant's naked eye or, or whatever like I think on the fundamental question is football better or worse off with VAR um, I still don't really know the answer I mean you look at the, the well, United like, and Arsenal yeah. game yesterday that goal that's disallowed for Arsenal correctly it, without VAR that goal stands and it's not yeah, fair is it really so, and then you look back at the 2018 World Cup in Russia that, that it was sort of implemented perfectly there wasn't it I can't yeah. remember any truly controversial decisions made by VAR. I think every single, or certainly off the top of my head, every single decision that went to VAR was made correctly. So I don't really know why that hasn't been applied to the Premier League. But yeah, I, it's just, it's getting quite tedious now, isn't it? <laughs> every, every weekend something happens where... Yeah, you just you sort of scratch your yeah. head and think, how is that? How have they come to that decision? Well, C- so, City got away with one on Saturday. Do you see that one? Well, exactly. They, they yeah, put the, the flag offside, up. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which, well, that, but that's, that's you know, they're expressly told they're not supposed to do that, are they? So that's a, a human error that has nothing to do with VAR. And it would really. take them yeah. like six yeah. seconds before they put um, the flag up. I mean, the Champions League as well is it seems to work pretty well in the Champions League, especially compared to the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, better than the leagues. But I mean, the problem there is is. And one of the issues here is that every single league sources their own, their own company or hire their own different company to do or, or implement the VAR for them. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the margin of error is going to or the spread of error is going to be way too hard to like pinpoint down. No? Like obviously, maybe just people have a better you know, provider of the service or whatever it is. But at the same time, you know, if the margin of error or the, the, the difference in quality between tournaments is that you know, significant, the issue isn't necessarily just how big the margin of error is. It's why aren't we just, you know, hiring better services of this or like trying to like, I don't know, figure out a way to make this as, uh, you know, 
how, what's the word I'm looking for as singular for everybody else. Like it can't yeah. be that, Oh, you know, Beautiful, you're, they yeah. will, it will be ridiculous because knowing how the way football fans are and football st- and stats fans are eventually going to have like a UEFA VAR coefficient quality system going on. That's going to, you know, give you like an extra spot in the Champions League next season or whatever the hell, depending on how, you know, uh, it's just, Oh, it's kind of bonkers to me that it kind of comes down to that, that, you know, it's a school you're paying to do the, the system, not the system itself. But, you know, you live and you learn, I guess. You do indeed. Well, in, unless you are the Premier League, in which Bar, case they don't yeah. seem to learn anything. <laughs> yeah, they, they live a lot, but don't learn anything. But yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, that's enough of that for this week. Uh, let's uh, let's chat a little bit of Bundesliga now because uh, it's been an interesting start to the season now. It, it's kind of pointless looking at league tables at this this moment in time, but you know, your boys Freiburg are top of the league, aren't they, Danny? You, you must be uh, enjoying the way that they're playing and, you know, Uni and Berlin are up there as well. They've, uh, they have they drew with Bayern this weekend. They got a good win over Schalke recently. Do you think those teams are, are going to be in and around the top places for the for the remainder of the season? I mean, I do hope so. Um, it's nice to see teams that with a considerably smaller budget than your, not even your Bayerns but, or your Dortmunds, but your Leverkusens, your Gladbach, your Frankfurt, actually delivering good results, playing good football. Um, that basically follow the, the the mantra of trust the process more than anything, uh, getting results. It's no coincidence that Urs Fischer and Union and Strike in Freiburg are the two longest tenured coaches in the league right now. Uh, I think there's, a, you know, and they're clubs that are structurally very similar. Little money, very fan reliance, no big merchandising machines behind them. Uh, they play in re- really small stadiums, really. Freiburg just moved to a new stadium. That stadium is, what, 32,000 capacity? Mm-hmm. So it's very homey kind of feeling, very... Um, yeah, a very strong culturally for the little parts of town they represent. Fine, you know, Berlin is still Berlin, but technically Copenhagen. So it does feel like that neck of the woods, not the entire city is a union kind of place. So um, I don't know. It's, it is kind of nice to see uh, the teams that do things the right way, that have patience, that trust management, that trust the players, that believe in something, uh, actually getting away with it for once. Yeah. Is that something you think, Alex, that uh, perhaps the Bundesliga should be celebrated a bit more for the fact that, all right, they have this this mega club at the top of the league that wins the title every year. That's probably never going to change unless, you know, something drastic happens like a Super League. But at the same time, you are getting teams like Freiburg and Union Berlin, like mixing it with the big boys, getting the chance to play in Europe. And it's not kind of this closed shot big six that England has, for example. Yeah, yeah, I do agree with that. I think there is, I think there is going to come a point where that sort of, like you say, that closed shop of the Premier League, the top six, it is just a sort of mini Super League that we were yeah. also dead against um, 18 months ago. But yeah, like Danny said, the sort of riots, I mean, obviously we, uh, we live in Berlin and seeing up close the rise of Union has been sort of astonishing to witness, really. I remember going to watch them against, I want to say Heidenheim in 2019 or maybe late 2018. And I genuinely thought if I brought my boots the next week, I might get a game because they were, uh, they were appallingly bad. Both teams were just dreadful. Um, so to sort of see the work that they've done there as a club and, yeah, the sort of smart recruitment that they've made and, and then living off, you know, the, the sort of sales that they make to big clubs in the Premier League and elsewhere in Europe, it's been, um, yeah, been amazing. And it's, and it's always a fun league to watch, isn't it? There's never yeah. very, there's very rarely like boring games, even, you know, even amongst like the smaller clubs in the league. So yeah, it's, um, it's certainly a different model to the Premier League, but it's, um, yeah, it's, they, they do, they do it their own way and it works. Indeed, yeah. Yeah, they were in the second division when we sort of moved here. They were, they? yeah. In Berlin. yeah, yeah. Gone from that to the first division, to the Conference League, to the Europa League. Who knows, Champions League next. 
it'll be uh, really something to see. And what about the the start to the season, Danny, that Dortmund and Bayern have made? How, what have you made of them? Uh, Bayern obviously started in pretty blistering fashion, a couple of draws on the bounce. Uh, Dortmund have been sort of slowly feeling their way into the season, would you say? Uh, yeah, I mean, Dortmund are still kind of like walking a little bit on eggshells, if you will, uh, mm. and the way that they're still understanding how to build a team or, or around who to build a team because, you know, it used to be a very clear who would be scoring the goals, like very defined <laughs> roles up to last season. Uh, well, yeah, you know that really well, don't you, Dan? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, the point is that now, you know, injuries as well always play a part. Like Ushchan, for instance, in midfield, just started playing the last couple games. Uh, so the team has been like coming back and forth from the physical part, which is sort of like a constant Dortmund nightmare that they just relive every single season that, you know, they've signed really good players. Half of them are broken by the time they begin of the season and, you know, you have to kind of make do. Uh, but as Zul is coming back in, Ushchan's coming back in, Adeyemi is supposed to start like seeing a lot more regular minutes and all that. You do kind of see that Tersic's Ter- Ter- idea, which is admittedly not the the most interesting coach in the Bundesliga. Uh, he does have something behind it, and you know, twelve points in five games is hardly a bad result. Um, having said that, the team does feel a bit like. You know that feeling you have like when you know you're up and it's your turn to perform, so you kind of start feeling the stress? <laughs> they're at that point where they start feeling the stress just now. And um, I don't know, it's kind of terrifying because now Europe is going to, the Champions League is going to start, the the, the kind of, you know, pick up as of next month as well. Uh, the fact that we have the World Cup literally in a couple months' time, uh, you know, is going to obviously alter the plans and squeeze the schedule for everybody. And like I said, them being so prone to injury, that's going to be an interesting thing to see what, how that will develop down the, the next six weeks or so. Um, and regarding Bayern, I mean, what can you say? Like, you lose Lewandowski, you're still scoring 17 goals in five games. <laughs> uh, everyone's scoring goals now, which is beautiful. The thing, and the thing I do think they're slowly realizing is a Upamecano has to be benched. Uh, I think that's sort of like the big hiccup they have in defense right now. The league is finally going to get into routine, get back into form, and start understanding the game Bayern well enough and Nagelsmann's plan well enough to, I think, be like regular start and fixtured Bayern. Uh, and B, well, number two, that, you know, Zabitzer, who was sort of like the black sheep of last season, has been starting games this season. He had a great preseason. Uh, things seem to be finally falling into place for him. And on top of that, you have, you know, Musiala, you have Mueller doing his weird thing that he always does, the round go-to <laughs> role of his, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't know. I'm really keen on on this version of Bayern. It's maybe less, but less obvious that they're a powerhouse because, you know, there's no Lewandowski there. But I do feel the team is a lot, like, performing a lot better as a team, albeit they did draw a couple games against, you know, you know Union, who is not the biggest club, but also, like, a really, really tough team to play, you know? Yeah, Bayern dominated that game as well, didn't they? Were, True, yeah. You know, well, I'm glad that, that game where well, you can just say they shot 34 times, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's not their fault that Sommer had literally the best keeper performance in Bundesliga history. He broke the record <laughs> yeah. that day. Uh, I mean, it, it goes without saying they're performing well. Like, the, they dropped points that were okay to drop. You know, uh, yeah. it's just a frustrating fashion. You don't shoot 30-something times and expect to come out with just one goal. Yeah. But, uh, hey, again, you live and you learn. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have a little uh, a little talk about transfer deadline day then because there was a few interesting deals that went through uh, on the in the 11th hour of the transfer window. Uh, Chelsea got deals done for Aubameyang and, uh, and Zachariah from Juventus. Uh, Aubameyang, you know, they definitely need a striker like him, don't they, Alex? Is he going to be the one for them, do you think? And what did you make of that Zachariah transfer? Um, I think Aubameyang, I like him. Um, and yeah, like you said, they do need a striker. I like Amanda Breuer, though. I think he's mm. really good. I think I worry that he won't get enough game time because Aubameyang's there. I thought when he came on on Saturday against West Ham, he was arguably Chelsea's best player in the second half. I thought he was excellent. Um, so yeah, that would be... 
So I guess, guess it's good to have options, and Abumayang is a good option. But yeah, I wonder if that might um, stifle his progress slightly. Mm. And Zachariah, um, I, I mean, there's a reason Juventus got rid of him. He's, I, I think he's probably going to be this season's Sound Aguez. Um, <laughs> sort of, yeah. you know, the, le- the late option in, and then probably get a few games. Tuchel doesn't like him, and then he's off somewhere else next year. So, yeah, it's a mixed bag from Chelsea. I, I wor- don't think that they we'll finish in the top four this season, to be honest. Yeah, it's not looking great for them, is it? It seems no. to be a lot of moving parts that need to fall into place for them. Yeah. What do you think about that Zachariah transfer, Danny? Because he, he did really well at Gladbach, didn't he, in the Bundesliga, then went to Juventus, didn't do a lot there. Can you see him being a success in the Premier League? Uh, maybe not a success, uh, but he probably will be like a, best case scenario, like a good rotation player. I don't mm-hmm. I don't see him like, you know, cementing himself within the starting eleven anytime soon. Um, he, like you said, had a great, time at, at Gladbach. Uh, it's also a very different approach. I think that might be something positive compared against Juventus. Juve's midfield the last couple of years has hardly been the most fluid the, or one of the most impressive. You know, they have uh, what Winston McKennie, they had Rabiot, they had players that are not bad, but it's hardly, like you could, you could pinpoint the issues in Juve very, very quickly. Um, and it wasn't just Sakaria, was it? Like mm-hmm. it's he's, I think, a victim of circumstances in the sense that he was in one of the worst Juve's in, in years. Actually, uh, will he be able to perform as well as with Gladbach, with Chelsea at the Premier League level? I'm not sure, but he does have a coach like Tuchel, who also comes from the Bundesliga and kind of understands sort of like the the things that drive that sort of player, that sort of like box to box, which is what he kind of used to be at Gladbach uh, to kind of regain that sort of thing. So I don't know. It's in my book more of like a wait and see than a, than a you know necessarily a flop right off the bat. We'll see, yeah. yeah. But Chelsea like Barcelona this summer. You know, at Barcelona, they, they got Alonso on deadline day and uh, Hector Bellerin. Um Both teams, they sort of remind me a little bit. You know when you go to the the, uh, the supermarket and you're hungry and you're just putting any old shit in your basket because you <laughs> don't really think about what you're doing? Like, it, it kind of feels like that. They've, they've got some good players there, but like, what, what, I, don't, I don't know what the clear strategy was really, particularly Barcelona. It was a bit of a mad summer overall. Do you think it was a, a good one overall for them, Danny? They've made a good start to the season in the Liga, they've got some, have they fleshed out the squad in a way that was oh. necessary? Oh, considerably. I think the team is way, way better than it was last season. Um, to me, the, the big, you know, sign next to the, to Barcelona's transfer window is just how murky everything was, you know, like, mm. uh, <laughs> no one was like doubting the quality of the players they were signing, you know, like Lewandowski is a great name to sign. Bellerin and Alonso are maybe a bit harder sells than Lewandowski, obviously, but uh, it's just... It's it's the how of it all that really bothers me a little bit, you know. Uh, now the talk is of how they can, the art, like like the light, latest news today they pulled in Spain was um, apparently there's some clauses in in some contracts in Barcelona that if the certain players decide to not take part in like ten percent of like merchandising or like marketing activities and activations and all that sort of thing, they can unilaterally cancel or reduce their wage. So the fact that that is like the headline in Catalonian you know news today kind of gives you an idea how effed up it really is. It's not about <laughs> sports. It's about how, like, you know, reading the fine print of contracts and just squeezing the players out of money. It's just it's just insane, really. Like, especially for a club that not so long ago was worshipping one of the best players ever, Messi, and, you know, they basically build uh, their success around their youth division. And um, sure, the young players are back, but I don't know. To me, the, the big caveat here is how, dare I say, unethical it kind of feels sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, the lawyers they, are on the phone. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> knocking on the door right now. Yeah, yeah, they, they sort of feel to me like the Barcelona era, like the pre-Guardiola Barcelona era, when it was it was all a bit mad, you know. Like they sort of they sort of yeah. regressed to that a little bit, really. But 
I have to say it's it's very Barcelona that probably their best signing of the summer was Jules Quimbe and he was the last one to get registered. That <laughs> yeah. sort of su- yeah. that sort of sums sums it all up really. True, sure. Yeah, yeah. You can't argue with the results on the pitch so far. No, very well no, indeed. No. Yeah, 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 true. Uh, Liverpool got the signing of Arthur Mello done. There was uh, a lot of talk about Liverpool needing to strengthen their midfield ranks with you know so many injuries as well. It wasn't looked like it was going to happen. They've got a player who uh, was at Barcelona at one time, went to Juventus, didn't do particularly brilliantly there, has had some injury problems. Alex, do you think if, if he can get fit, if they can keep him fit, that he could actually be a really good signing for them? Well, that's a big if for me. Mm. I think it, this one sort of reeks of desperation, really. It's very, I think the reason it surprises me so much is it's so unlike Liverpool. You know, this is sort of the complete opposite of what they've been doing for the past, you know, five, six years. Um, yeah, he's injury prone. He's a little bit older. He hasn't really impressed for two years. Um, yeah, I think this, I don't think this is going to be the, the move that, um, it could be another Sol de Guaz, couldn't he? Uh, yeah, kind of, I think yeah, it's going to placate Liverpool fans and their worries, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, I think this is um, a bit of a worry. A bit of a worry for them. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how he does. But like you say, his, his fitness issues are uh, a problem. And uh, and the last one I wanted to talk about was Carlos Soler, who joined uh, PSG on transfer deadline day. What happened there, Danny? Why is he why is he left Valencia? What's, what's going on with Valencia? Well, um, the owner of Valencia is a big fan of football, but he's also a huge fan of money. Uh, and he's basically one of the main reasons Valencia's kind of like been like in a, what feels like a, like a nose dive for the past decade or so is that um, the guy's you know just really cheap. Like he doesn't like to invest his own money in the club, and dealers and sponsorship uh, agreements have kind of fallen out because of that, and the club has lost a lot of value. Also, and it does have to be said, I do feel like Valencia need a little bit of shaking up in the squad. Like the Geddes, the Solers, like a lot of the the Maxi Gomez, even like a lot of the players that were there. Um, I mean. Compared to the Premier, they, they aren't earning that much. But for Valencia standards, they were like really well paid. Uh, they delivered a very little, re- like, cons- like considerably or comparably uh, little results for what they're being paid compared to other uh, members of their team. And um, to be honest with Gattuso, I also think that was a factor. Um, the attitude of many players has kind of been uh, put into question and double checked, kind of like Ten Hag has with Manchester United, the same as Gattuso with you know his very unique approach to you know life. Uh, uh, at Valencia. So I think that sort of like tilted over to the edge. Yesterday they had a fantastic game, the best game they've played since 2019 against Hetafe. Arguably not the strongest rival, uh, but you could just see them float. Like it was just good, good football. Like you hadn't seen Mestalla for ages. Uh, the, su- the second captain was subbed in and then he scored and was, and then he'd be subbed out or something like that. And then he had to get, you know, like standing ovations kind of thing. Like <laughs> things are changing there finally. And it's yeah. good to see that it's without the big names or in spite of not having the big names they had for the past half decade or so, um, things seem to be starting to fall into place slowly, but surely. So, you know, uh, good riddance, I guess. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you reckon Soler will be a good signing for PSG though? I think he's a very interesting player. He's versatile. He's maybe not the paciest, but he does offer a lot of, uh, you know, what do we call that? Sort of like secondary traits that are really good. Like he's really, really smart player at you know like reading the game, understanding uh, the motions uh, of where the of where the game is going, and uh, he does have a really, really decent you know uh, foot. So he can have he, he can strike a ball really quite well from distance. He can you know shoot it in from close. He can pass it to basically anybody on the pitch. I don't know. I think he's going to be <laughs> a decent foot is very important for a footballer. I'd say. <laughs> I've heard. I've Ideally, heard, I've heard, two yeah, decent yeah, yeah. feet would be yeah, but. Mm-hmm. 
imagine two great feet, man. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, you get my point. That he is a guy yeah. has some technique behind him and, uh, and also a big brain. So he should be fine in Paris, I think. Fair enough. Well, uh, the Champions League is back this week, so let's uh, let's dive into that now. We've uh, we'll start with a question from a listener from Anthony Zucchino. He asks, "What are teams like Juventus, PSG, and City missing when it comes to the Champions League?" I mean, I've thought about this long and hard for many years now, and I'm fucked if I know. So I'm hoping you <laughs> can, can help me out with this one. What do Manchester City need to do to win the Champions League, or PSG, or Juventus for that matter? Isn't it, it? That's just it's win that the final. Yeah, it's that imperceptible <laughs> thing that would take you over the edge, and that's yeah. that's why it's sort of so good every year. Um, I, I mean, I'm joking a bit, but we see like with Real Madrid last season, and you know Real Madrid over the past couple of years, they are quite obviously not the best team in Europe, but they just have this like inbuilt. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but they just know that they can succeed in Europe, mm. and they know that they can do it in knockout knockout football. I think. I mean, those three specific clubs, Juventus, have been relatively unlucky with the draws that they've had over the past few seasons. Obviously, PSG got to the final, um, and they they bottled. Well, I'd say bottled it, but they came up against Real Madrid last year and struggled. Man City the same, but I don't know. I think. I think cities surely have to get there eventually. I, I actually think PSG are probably my favourites this year. I really like Galtier. I think, like we were just saying before about Carlos Soler, they're making a lot more smart decisions um, now that certain people in the club have left. Um, so, yeah, I think PSG would actually be my favourites to to lift the trophy this year. Yeah. I mean, you look at what City do in this season and they look like they're probably better equipped to win it than they ever have been with, with Haaland scoring the goals up front. And yet they drew with Newcastle a few weeks ago they drew with Aston Villa at the weekend you know they were 2-0 down to Crystal Palace last week they're probably not going to you know if that happens in the Champions League it's game over isn't it against a, a good streetwise team there's still a lack of composure perhaps in those games that was why they got beat by Real Madrid last season it's just it's very hard to, to sort of see what the the solution is really other than just hope that one day the stars align and it all goes well and then you've got some experience to build on then haven't you that's that's kind of yeah. how it happened for for all these other teams I mean any ideas Danny what what these I mean I, I can't see Juventus getting in the mix this season but you would imagine that PSG and City will be will be up there oh 100% um uh I think a lot of it is like you say like also something about Guardiola teams um that I've Oh, I brought up a couple of times here. It's it's something like the overthinking and the process of how he <laughs> reaches the final. But I think by the time the season's coming to an end, everyone is so saturated of information in that dressing room. And then there's been so many discussions and tactical, like, you know, twicks and little things that he does and modifies. And he just, he, he gets too, too, he goes really, really deep in that rabbit hole of tactics, doesn't he? Um, <laughs> and he does like, just same as Simeone, they just over tweak when it comes to like the big matches sometimes. Um, and I bring Simeone because I do think Atletico have that sort of same vibe that, you know, they're always a good team, even though their squad is not the strongest in Europe. They always, you know, they're always good for a watch and good for performance uh, in Europe. Um, but when it comes to the very, very last inch of it, it's, I don't know, they, they kind of like freeze a little bit. And <laughs> that's what I felt with City last season, for instance. PSG, I don't know, I think it's, to me, it's more like a reality show than a club at this point. I, I hope for the sake of the coach that Alex is right, because he is a decent coach. Um, but I don't know. It's, eh, it's just, it's just tricky. And it's also, like you say, a bit of luck, you know, sometimes you just have a really, really easy way to the final. Sometimes you just don't. And, uh, it's just part of the equation. Having said all that, I do think people are not estimating Juve's summer transfers that well. I mean, you check the list. It's like a decent, it's like the first summer in a while 
you can see they're actually signing players that could make a difference to the actual stance of things. Not saying I'm going to win the thing, but <laughs> I do think that for once, uh, Juve actually seem like for once in a while, like for once in, in a good half a decade, they'll actually look decent. And um, I don't know, Chiesa coming in, Kostic coming in, Pogba, Di Maria, Paredes. It's not yeah. bad. It really isn't that yeah, bad. Yeah, true, true. Yeah, and it is knockout football at the end of the day. If you can get yourself into yeah, those positions in a lot of stages, then... You know, strange things can happen. Uh, let's have a look at the the group stages, and we'll uh, we'll rattle through the groups and pick out a couple of talking points from each one. So, Group A is Ajax, Liverpool, Napoli, Rangers. Are you are you expecting Liverpool to ease through that one, Alex? I mean, they've they've not made a, a brilliant start to the season. They're not firing on all cylinders. You might say they've, they've been a little bit unlucky in recent games, but you fancy them to get out. I, of that no, one? I think this is I think this is the hardest group. I mm. I, I think Liverpool will go through, but I, I definitely don't think it's going to be easy. Um, obviously, we know about the the atmospheres at Rangers and Napoli respectively. Obviously, mm. Ajax is a difficult place to go. I, Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Liverpool lose a few games um, in this group. But yeah, I would expect Liverpool to go through. And I am going to say Napoli just. Mm. But I do think Rangers are going to have a good tournament. I do think the, the Ibrox factor... Um, will will play will play its part. So yeah, Liverpool just and <laughs> yeah, it's going to be an interesting one to watch this group, isn't it? Some really good games yeah. and then Liverpool away at Napoli. There's no bad games Tuesday though. Is there? Uh, They're yeah. all going to be interesting. Yeah, Napoli have started the season well as well. So uh, yeah, looking forward to that one. Group B is Porto, Atletico Madrid, Leverkusen, and Club Bruges. Uh, Danny Atleti and Leverkusen both made pretty poor starts to the season. Uh, do you think it's going to be those two in the in the top two positions? I mean, you would think that's sort of like the logical conclusion, but uh, at the same time, Porto have always kind of like proven, you know, to be up to the challenge here and there. Uh, Leverkusen particularly kind of worries me because they do seem to be, like they have all the players, everything seems to be in place, the right coach, everything, but nothing seems to be clicking this season. Um, and I don't know if it's just because of, a, of the league start and that's usually kind of tricky for them, but I don't know. It's, it feels a bit scarier. Atletico, as always, they have such a small squad that it's just very basically boils down to who's injured and who's not injured. And if they have enough players to feel like a decent starting eleven. Uh, having said all that, they do seem like the two logical decisions. Brugge, I I don't know. Belgian teams to me are always kind of like a, a little riddle because they're just loaded with really really good young talent uh, mm-hmm. in the bench and the reserves that they just bring out. And you know, every single summer we're just wowed at the amount of Belgian players being transferred. Uh, you know, back and forth throughout Europe. So if I had to like nail it down, I'd probably say Atletico or Schuin, Porto, Leverkusen fighting for a second, third place there, and Brugge. Mm-hmm. Fight, probably, you know, could cost someone their, their qualifier to the next round of the Champions League for sure. Yeah, they're going to sort of mess someone's chances up, aren't they? They're going to be a bit of a distraction 100%. factor or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, group C is Bayern, Barcelona, Inter and Victoria Pilsen. I mean, I, I think we can probably identify the whipping boy in that group, but uh, <laughs> at, at least the people of Pilsen have got some delicious Czech beer to drown their sorrows with when that happens. <laughs> what, what do you reckon for this one, Alex? I mean, it's uh, it's the group of death, I guess you would say. Yeah, I, uh, do you want a hot take? Go on. I Lovely. I think I think Bayern go out. Ooh, I think Barcelona. That is a hot take. Look at this guy. That is I a know. hot take. I'd, at the start of the summer, I was very skeptical about Barcelona, but I've been so impressed by what they've done so far in La Liga. I think I actually think they might do really well in the Champions League this season. And I I like Inter. I just I don't know what it is about them, but I just really like them. I I'm not a massive Nagelsmann fan. I just I can see Inter beating Bayern at the San Siro and then maybe holding them at uh, the Allianz. So Barcelona and Inter. There you go. See if you've heard it here. First. Yeah, that's the uh, Bayern Inter is the last game of the. the is it? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, in, in in Munich. Yeah. So. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Yep. 
Yeah, interesting one, that. Uh, Group D is Eintracht Frankfurt, Tottenham, Sporting Lisbon, as we're not allowed to call them, I don't think, but I did it anyway, (laughs) and Marseille. Uh, Are you expecting big things from Spurs on their return to the Champions League, Alex? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I guess Conte hasn't got an especially great record in Europe, has he? He's more of a, mm. he's impressed more in domestic football. But yeah, I yeah, I really like what he's done so far this season. I, I don't <laughs> think they've looked at their best, but they're, they're still a weird one, because they're playing well. I yeah. think and winning games, and Conte's just playing it down every t- every chance he gets. Like yeah, and complaining about not having enough signings and stuff like that. It seems to. I guess Son That's hasn't concept, scored yet. Yeah, yeah, Son hasn't scored yet this season, which um, yeah is a bit of a surprise but yeah I really like Son Kane and Kulazewski as a front three obviously mm-hmm. Bentoncourt's uh, excellent midfielder yeah they, they look they have quality all over the all over the pitch and this this group is it's a solid group and every team is interesting but yeah I would expect Tottenham to to at least make the top two and, and go through yeah yeah is it uh, is this Eintracht Frankfurt's first foray into the Champions League Ale- uh, Danny the modern version, yeah, they yeah. played, uh, yeah, but way back in the day, I think it was Madrid's what fifth final or something like that that they uh, mm. that they played against they them. Like played it was them, uh, a beat while them seven three, didn't they in that final? Yeah, yeah, yeah it got whipped there. Yeah, um, no, but this what I like about Frankfurt is that they've proven year after year after year that they're just really good at cups. Uh, they beat Bayern the day Pokal, then they moved to the Europa League. The first time they finished semifinals, now they're champions of it. Move on to the Champions League. This group might be a big ask to be honest, to be honest, but. I don't see them being, you know, pushovers either. I think they have a decent squad. Like, they proved it this weekend as well. Like, you can finally see that when this team clicks, uh, it works quite well. Yes, they lost Kostic, but they kept Kamada, which is sort of like the big other name they were concerned about losing to the very end. Um, and I don't know. With Aladio and a couple other players that have been brought in, Mario Kutz as well, who had a really good start to the season. Um, I don't know. It, it just feels different, Frankfurt, right now. Like, it's really hard to read because you can tell that there was a lot of movement and the team is still kind of getting to know each other a bit better and how everyone kind of like plays and syncs up. Uh, but I don't know, they could, they could pose a lot of trouble to Marseille and, and, and Sporting and yeah, and, and, and the Portuguese team Sporting. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Group E, you've got uh, Milan, Chelsea, Salzburg, Dinamo, Zagreb. Any danger of Milan or Chelsea not making it through, do you think, Alex? I suppose Salzburg are a, a potential threat. Yeah, it's, I, yeah I, I personally think Chelsea and Milan will make it through, but Salzburg is, is a difficult place to go sometimes, and, and Zagreb has been a bit of a challenge for the team sometimes as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't think there's going to be any traditional like whipping boys here, but yeah, I, I'd be surprised if Chelsea and Milan didn't make it through. Yeah, that feels like a proper European away like group game, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Dino Zagreb away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Don't uh, upset the locals there, would be my no. advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, group F is Real Madrid, RB Leipzig, Shakhtar and Celtic. Uh, Madrid and Leipzig, I suppose, have to be considered the favourites of this one. My hot take is that Celtic might beat Real Madrid on uh, on Tuesday oh, night. Nice. But, uh, yeah, you know, I remember do you think Leipzig... Are... Go on. Do you, sorry, do you think Leipzig over Celtic? Favourites? Well, we'll see. I mean, Celtic are playing some lovely yeah. stuff, aren't they? They're but yeah, battered Rangers really well, the other day right? and play play some lovely football and yeah I mean the atmosphere at Celtic Park on on Champions League nights is electric I remember City going there under Guardiola a few years ago really struggling and escaping with a 3-3 draw they beat Barcelona a few years ago there so I've got a feeling they might catch Real Madrid cold and, and really really get a result there but whether they'll have enough to make it through I mean what do you think about Leipzig Danny how have they started would you say? Uh, well, I mean, they've only won one game so far in the season yeah. uh, which is you know not impressive uh, especially if you're like 
touted to be number two, number three in the Bundesliga. And to me, it just reeks like one of those seasons where you have like a decent German squad just tanking. Uh, it just has that vibe to it that, to me this season that the Disco project is not going to go uh, to going to go you know that well unless they are kicked out of Europe. I, I think that's sort of like the bet. Um, having said that, they are arguably, besides Madrid, the most talented squad here. I think man by man, it's really impressive what these guys have. Uh, they did upgrade in many places. Angelino left, but they brought in Raum. Uh, they've been moving pieces around back and forth. And uh, I don't know. They should be like the natural second here. But I don't know. Like Alex was saying, Celtic are playing good football. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Shakhtar. Where is Shakhtar going to play their games? Because they're not going to play in Ukraine, no? I mean, you would think, but... Uh, I don't think so, no. Um, they're playing Kiev last I checked, and the Ukrainian league kind of kicked off just now. Yeah. And they're playing there. But, I don't know, it's, it's like an interesting caveat that, like, where is this going to take place? Because, yeah. you know, it's a they didn't even it's play the, time to be alive, yeah. <laughs> they're playing in the Polish Army Stadium, apparently. In, yeah. uh, Where's that, Warsaw? Warsaw, yeah. There you go. Okay. Yeah, because they, oh, <laughs> they weren't even playing in the... Um, Indonex for ages anyway, were they? Even before no, yeah, the, from the, the conflict the, yeah, the, off, yeah. Exactly, from the invasion there, 2014, yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, like I said, it should be clear for Madrid. Uh, maybe not, you know, perfect record, obviously, but I do think they should be fine uh, way ahead of the rest uh, in that regard. Indeed. Uh, group G is Man City, Sevilla, Dortmund and Copenhagen. Pretty interesting group. You know, you'd fancy City to go through as, as group winners. I would have perhaps fancied Sevilla to, to go through as second place, but they've made a, a pretty poor start to the season, haven't they, Danny? Do you reckon Dortmund will be uh, licking the lips looking at that and thinking they've got a good chance of making it through? It's interesting. I think uh, Dortmund also have this huge record in the Champions League of, you know, over-promising and under-delivering. Um, so you always have to be a bit iffy with them. Uh, Sevilla, having said that, do have a huge lineage and, you know, winning cups and playing really well at football, at, you know, cup football. Um, I don't know. I think Sevilla have a decent squad, not maybe not as strong as last season's. Uh, and Dortmund does feel a bit better than, than last season, uh, team-wise, excluding the whole Holland thing, obviously. But uh, I don't know. I'm honestly, I think this is going to be those tricky groups where, you know, it's, it boils down to game six and, uh, you know, who ends up having the easiest <laughs> fixture for that point. And if Man City's qualified or, or not at that point. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. To me, it sounds more like a Dortmund going to the Europa League this season, to be quite honest. Oh. Oh, I'd have to disagree with that. I mean, I think, uh, <laughs> right. it's, it's a free country. It's a free country. <laughs> it is. I, I think City walk that group and then Dortmund second. Sevilla look, have looked poor for me under mm. Lopetegui. And yeah, obviously Copenhagen and Copenhagen. But some nice little away trips for City fans there. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, six yeah. all the boxes, doesn't it, really? Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and finally, it's Group H is PSG, Juventus, Benfica, Maccabi, Haifa. That's uh, potentially a very good game on Tuesday night between PSG and Juventus. Max Allegri was asked about it over the weekend and he, he basically said, oh, we're not worried about playing PSG. We'll just focus on trying to beat Benfica. Do you think that's the smart approach, Alex? Or is it a bit mm. too pragmatic or maybe not pragmatic no. enough? It's kind of a strange thing to say, isn't it? That's, a, that's quite an odd thing to say publicly, yeah. yeah. Um, but that's finishing second in their group is caught them out the past few years hasn't mm. it they've had tough last 16 draws and um they've gone out of the first hurdle so yeah I, i'm surprised by that i i don't think ben Freaker are quite good enough to beat juventus but that they'd give them a good game i yeah that's strange i think psg and juventus do go through but um yeah to sort of just hand psg the group like that is um yeah very strange I Indeed. think that's probably why the, the natives in Turin aren't quite as uh, with Allegri, <laughs> Allegri this right, time yeah. round as they as they have been. Difficult second album for him, isn't it? Very exactly. Much so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll finish today with a question from Will Shaw, who asks, who is a player whose career is at a make or break point this season and how could they save themselves? Uh, Alex, you had a suggestion for this earlier, didn't you? Well, I said Marcus Rashford. Oh, yeah, that's right. um, I think, yeah, he's at a very interesting point of his career. And uh, yeah, obviously his form has uh, taken an upturn recently and I think that can that's only can be a good thing but yeah, I did think if he was going to have another six months of struggles he probably wouldn't have got in England's first team for the World Cup and then yeah it would have been interesting where he went from there but yeah I'm glad to see uh, yeah glad to see his form's taken a bit of a turn over the past few yeah weeks. yeah I was thinking Naby Keita for this one who I believe has been left oh, out yeah, of Liverpool's Champions yeah, League one, squad yeah. having yeah. come you know come there for quite big money with a, a lot of uh anticipation about that signing and it's just not really worked out. He's shown flashes of brilliance, been injured a lot and uh, it's been a real a real disappointment overall. So yeah, you wonder whether he has much of a future at Liverpool and, and how that's going to go. Another one I was thinking was Ross Barkley who uh, has just joined oh, yeah, Nice. Nice, yeah. yeah. Joining yes. Aaron Ramsey at Nice. Uh, you know, I heard Why the news not? that he'd left Chelsea by mutual consent and thought, oh bloody hell, that doesn't sound good for him, does it? Where's he going to end up now? <laughs> Is he going to be a free agent for ages? And he's, uh, he seems to have fallen... Falling into a decent little club I was there. Say, where... There's worse places you can end up. Uh, yeah, isn't there, absolutely. South of yeah. France. Yeah. So uh, good luck to Ross Barkley. How about you, Danny? Any suggestions for that? Joao Felix would be oh. my shot. Oh, yeah. He's Mate. 120 million boy. He does his job well, but not enough, not well enough for people to say, yeah, he's worth 120, is he? Mm. Um, so I don't know. Atletico. It's always tricky to to read that or, or see how things are going to go for them in the Champions League, isn't it? But he has always kind of been on the verge of you know failing or succeeding at Atletico ever since he's joined. Obviously, the, the price pays a huge role here, but uh, I don't see. I mean, if Atletico do well, then fine, they will recoup their their investment and maybe he will stay. But it's the sort of season where you can see him leaving Atletico regardless of the result. Uh, he's been there what four years at this point, maybe. Mm. Um, and um, and yeah, like. He really hasn't lived up to the hype because the you know injuries for one part. On the other hand, it's you know Simeone playing him where he's not most comfortable sometimes. So you know there's a lot of factors there. But I mean he this is make or break for him, I believe. Yeah. Still only 22, so you know there's plenty of time on his side. But I know what you mean. Yeah, he True, perhaps yeah. Uh, would have benefited from a move away this summer, maybe. But I think the the cost of him is probably quite prohibitive to some clubs, isn't it? But uh, yeah, mm. let's see how he see how he gets on this year. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. Thank you to Alex and Danny for joining me, and thank you to everyone for listening. We'll be back again on Thursday to review the Champions League action. And uh, if you want to get in touch with any of our podcasts in the meantime, the email address is podcast at onefootball.com. <laughs> <laughs>